0: Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. Hey there, friends. Pastor Jeffrey Rickman here. And uh, I'm happy to present to you Season 2, Episode 5 of our podcast. We uh, we usually generate some other new stuff, and we have been putting out some other new stuff for you recently, some word studies. Uh, we're going to get another one put out soon of either worship or um, the church. So I hope you enjoy those. They're pretty different from what this is going to be, which is um, our proclamation of the Word from this last Sunday. We used um, four texts, one from Nehemiah, one from Psalm 19, one from 1 Corinthians, one from Luke, to make the case for some of these basic things that the Lord gives us for our faith, um, namely the Scriptures and the Church. And these are things that modern-day nominal Christians or Christians in name only uh, they really are down on becoming people of Scripture or people of the Church, and uh, I'm realizing as a pastor I just need to spend more time and energy on making the case for Scripture and the Church and the other means of grace that the Lord has assigned us. Anyway, this is covering some pretty basic territory. I don't think I say anything too outlandish or offensive um, this week, but it's good for establishing yourself in some of these uh, I would consider very basic. It's not who cares what I consider. I would Jesus considers these things. These are not things that extreme or radical Christians care about. This is what basic normal Christians care about. And if there's someone who says they love Jesus but they don't care about these things, well, that's a problem. So anyway, um, if if you're new to this stuff, I hope it's a blessing to you and that you take it seriously. If you're not new to this stuff, then let me encourage you. You know, we need to be reminded about these important things all the time. So take these reminders with joy, and uh, God bless you as you spend time listening. So it's time for us to turn to God's Holy Word today. The Scriptures today are going to primarily deal with the Bible, uh, the Scriptures. Um, It's true that the Bible wasn't put together in a compendium book form for several hundred years after Jesus died. However, There's something called the Christian canon, and that's the books inside of the Bible. There are those 66 books that are accepted as canon, and then there are a lot of other books that are not canon. That's not to say they're evil. That's just they're not essential for salvation. The books in our Bible are all the essential books for salvation, the books that we're expected to be familiar with and living our lives by. Now, this first reading is before Jesus, But it's after the exile. What happened was God was in a covenant relationship with the Hebrews, and they had a a couple good times in that relationship, but they were largely found faithless. They worshiped other gods. They didn't treat each other right. Finally God let them be overrun by their sins. The Assyrians wiped out the northern kingdom. The Babylonians wiped out the southern kingdom. The Hebrews were flung far and wide across the Babylonian empire, but finally the Persians wiped out the Babylonians and their king said you Jews can go home rebuild your temple and eventually he let them even rebuild their wall so that they would just be vassals of his state and and uh, praying for him and and participating in the Persian Empire what's happened is Ezra and then Nehemiah both went back helped Jerusalem start to be restored and um, um, the temple has been rebuilt the the wall is being rebuilt And finally, they're renewing their covenant with God, and that begins with a day of Scripture, public reading of Scripture. So our first reading today is going to be a recounting of this day where they're being renewed in covenant by bathing in God's Word together. So let's welcome our first reader to come forward.
1: Today's reading is from Nehemiah 8, 1 through 10, which you can find on page 757 of your Pew Bibles. Listen. To the word of God. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Israel, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon. And he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him, on his right, stood Mattiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. And on his left were Pedadiah, Mishael, Malkah, Hashem, Hashbadnah, Zachariah, and Mishalom. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people filled their hands and lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherbiah, Jamin, Acab, Shebeli, Hadiah, Messiah, Kelita, Azariah, Jezebad, Hanan, and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Points to Linda for getting all those Hebrew names. Very good job. I had a a decision to make this week. I I don't like when we skip little verses in the middle. I'm a skeptic, so anytime someone, like if I read the news, or if I'm with the news, and they have like a quote, and then they cut out a part, and then they have another quote, I'm like, what did they just skip over? Did that just change anything? And I'm the same way with the scriptures. When they tell us to skip over stuff, I just... If I, was, if I was you, I'd be kind of skeptical. Why are they having me skip over this? So they had us skipping over the names because they don't want people tripping over the names. And I should have warned you, Linda. You did amazing, by the way. But um, yeah, we trucked through it. And the reason they have all the names is because this literally happened in history. This is a historical event. That's why all these names, that's why all the genealogies in the Bible, that's why in the Gospels, they tell you who was in charge of what at different times. This all literally happened. For more than 100 years in the West, we had these... Uh, uh, hoity-toity, too big for their britches people in ivory towers saying, oh, this is all just metaphor. There wasn't a literal kingdom. There wasn't a literal King David. This stuff didn't literally happen. Well, thank God for archaeology because we've dug up so much stuff and the biblical record is verified on every count, okay? So if you don't know that, that, that's just a great way to, if you're ever bored one day, the internet is a wonderful thing. Just type in biblical archaeology in a search bar, and you'll find hundreds of finds that validate what the Bible tells you about. Now, this, this historical event was a real historical event. Now, some people won't believe it because they'll say, man, I could never enjoy the scriptures that much. But the thing is, just because you can't or haven't so far, we're not going to say can't because that's a silly way to go through life. I can't do X, Y, or Z. You don't know what you can do. God does, by the way. Um, But if you've never identified with this, and if it wasn't clear, he gets out the book of Moses. The book of Moses is usually the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. might have just been Deuteronomy. I really don't know. I wasn't there. But here they're reading through it from daybreak till noon. And depending on the time of year this was, and I didn't look, we're looking at six hours probably of reading he opens the book. Actually, it probably wasn't a book. It was a scroll. The Hebrew word is safer, and it usually means scroll. They didn't start putting books together till after Jesus, usually. He opens the scroll, and everybody stands up, and then for six hours at least, he is reading. It says they're listening attentively, and then he has these other men along the sides talking to the people, making sure they understand what he's reading. Okay? So I imagine he reads one line, and then everybody's talking to the wise men and figuring out what it means. And then he's reading another. It doesn't say it like this, but you have to try and figure out, okay, how are they paying attention to him reading and the guys interpreting? That doesn't, You have to make sense of it. So this is a communal affair where they are standing for six hours and engaged in God's holy word. It says they were not bored. In fact, they were doing something you can't do when you're bored. They were crying. They were crying. Now, it doesn't tell us why they were crying, but why do you think they were crying? So it could be that they were happy. It could be, oh, man, this is so wonderful. God's word is so good. God is so good. I just love bathing in his word with other people. But it was also probably sad. And the reason I say that is because at the end of the reading, they say this is a day of celebration. Stop crying. We're going to feast, you know, So odds are they were, you know, in in Ezra, the book before this, when they lay the foundation of the temple, which was knocked down, they built the foundation again. Uh, It says that the old people who were alive when the first temple was in place, they could be heard mourning for a far distance away, mourning, crying. And it likewise there doesn't say whether it was happy crying that they're finally rebuilding it or sad crying that for, for decades they've been without it. And if you know your emotions, you know that sometimes you're not all happy or all sad. You can have mixed emotions. But here, the reason that they would be sad is the whole reason that they were kicked out of their holy land. The whole reason that they lost copies of these scrolls. The whole reason that they were alienated from God was because when they had the temple, when they had the scriptures, when they had the covenant, they forsook those things. So it's like if I cheated on Sarah Beth and she left me for good reason... And one day she decides to take me back and she renews her covenant with me and she's every bit the sweet wife she ever was to me. I would hope that I would have the decency to mourn my sins and how awful I deserve to be treated and how wonderful she's decided to treat me. So that's a similar, smaller example of what God did for the Hebrews. Even though they rejected him at every turn, even though they spat on the covenant and did not live according to his scriptures, he still allowed them to come back to Jerusalem Restore the temple and the city gates, and then to be once again following his law. The place where we should be particularly concerned as we read this is could I ever enjoy God's word this much? Could I ever spend six hours of my life just basking in God's word with my fellow believers? Protestantism was initially begun by people who said, oh, those Roman Catholics, they don't even read the scriptures, right? They're all about the hocus pocus with the sacraments and we're gonna come back to God's holy word. We're gonna read our Bibles and we're gonna preach the Bible and we're gonna live the Bible. Nowadays, the only communities I've ever heard of getting together and reading an entire book of the Bible together straight through, I've never heard of a Protestant church ever doing that. I've only ever heard of Eastern Orthodox churches doing that. Eastern Orthodox are like Roman Catholics. They split up in 1058, and then we split off of the Roman Catholics, the Protestants did. The only, there are communities today that get together. My brother Daniel worshipped with one in uh, Columbia for a bit, Columbia, Missouri. They were an Eastern Orthodox community. One night they got together, and for two and a half to three hours, they all stood listening as the book of Genesis was read aloud, all 50 chapters. And they weren't bored. They weren't bored to tears. Yes, there were some little kids that had to play along the periphery, but they all stood in the middle of the room and just basked in God's word together. Can you imagine such a thing? And I said, Daniel, we got to do this up here in no one. No, he said it to me. Y'all should do it in no one. And I said, nobody would come. Nobody would come. And that makes me sad because don't you think we should love God's word that much? So let me just put it to you. I want to, hear, I want to hear what do you think is lacking where these ancient people back then, they weren't as educated as us, they were in agrarian culture, they didn't have our free time that we have, and yet they thought their time was best spent in this way. What's the difference between them and Eastern Orthodox communities today who will spend their time in that way and us? What's the difference between us and them? What's, what's different? What makes it so that we don't have that hunger to bask in God's word together? What do you think? There are no stupid answers to this one. No matter what you say, I'm not going to make fun of you. I really want to hear what some people think. What is the difference between them and us? Why, why do we not hunger for God's word like that? Priorities. Priorities. So their priority back then, they were setting a new priority. Our priority is pleasing the Lord. And Eastern Orthodox Christians, would we say that they have a higher priority of pleasing the Lord than Protestants? Would we say that? no terry doesn't like that one she's saying "Mm, no they don't love jesus more than we do no nope 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 they don't have a higher priority on god's word than we do well then but i like that theory not because i'm wanting to be down on us but you have to look at a community that lives that way and go man they really love god's word don't they can you imagine can you imagine just being yourself and being in the middle of a group of people just listening attentively as someone reads scripture for hours can you imagine that a lot of you are imagining it, you're going, okay, keep my eyes open right now. <laughs> Got to stay awake. Jeffrey's going to call me. I will not call you out if you fall asleep, but please don't fall asleep. But we need to be putting ourselves, the whole point of the Bible, it's not, oh, look at how, oh, Raven, I didn't see your hand up. What do you have to say? We, don't have, time. we don't have enough time. Yeah, What would happen? what would happen if one day we came in and I said, today, folks, we're going to read all the way through Genesis. Throw out your bulletin. Open your Bibles. We're just going to read all the way through. Buckle up. We're not going to stop till we get, we get to the end of chapter 50. Raven, what do you think would happen? Most of you would fall asleep. Okay. Yeah, most of you would fall asleep, probably. Um, do you think anybody would get up and leave? I don't... I don't think, yeah, I don't think, I don't think people would get up and leave right then. None of you would just get up and leave. None of you would be like, ah, I hate Genesis. I'm out of here. But you would probably sit there for a while. But after 30 minutes, I bet one or two people would get up. And after an hour, I bet about 10 people would stand up and go. And they'd be out the door. So maybe, though, I bet about I bet about 10 people would be left here. I bet about 10 people would be left here listening at the end of Genesis and then I give you all a $1000. It'd be wonderful. But this is I mean so part of it Raven though part of that scenario would be it's unfair because people wouldn't know what they're signing up for. You know, a lot of people have lunch plans, a lot of people have but but if I scheduled a time said everybody we need to love God's word the way these ancient people did. We're scheduling Wednesday night we're going to sit here and read all the way through Genesis. I want you here How many people do you think would show up on Wednesday night to read through Genesis with me? Would you come? Probably not. Okay. (laughs) See, okay, so what's the difference? So it could be priorities. You know, at that point, you just have to say, I wouldn't because it's not a priority of mine. What else could it be? If it's not priorities, what else could it be? what desire is that what you said i have no desire to sit and listen to god's holy word for two and a half hours well yeah so some people have that desire and some people don't you know blessed are those who hunger and thirst for god's righteousness jesus said well there are a lot of people who might hunger for righteousness but not if i have to read a book to have it Ugh. oh these old ancient words from these old ancient dead people problem is It's not from old ancient dead people, it's from the eternal God. Do you want to know that God or not? Do you want to walk rightly alongside your God or not? This is really what it comes down to. And there are a lot of people who just, preacher, don't make me choose to have to read a boring book or not follow Jesus. Give me another way where I don't have to read a boring book and I can still follow Jesus. That's where most people I know are. And the problem with that presupposition is it's not a boring book. It's not a boring book. As a child, my father watched ballet sometime. I don't know know what's wrong with the guy, but he liked ballet. And I would watch it as a kid, and I'd say, why are you watching this? This is so boring, okay? It's so boring. They're just spinning around. They're just spinning around on the floor. It's the most boring thing in the world. But the thing is, when you know about ballet, when you know about how difficult it is, when you know about who composed it, when you know the story they're telling, is ballet boring? No. Classical music, same thing. You just put me to sleep with classical music, but if you tell me about the composer, uh, the historical context of when it came out, the different musical theory that was popular at the time, you can make classical music very engaging. The problem with the scriptures is not that they're boring. The problem with the scriptures is we haven't even allowed ourselves to learn what makes it interesting. And we have precluded the possibility that the scriptures can be interesting. I'm not even considering whether or not... How many of us, whenever we could turn on Netflix or open our Bibles, choose the Bible? Netflix, you don't have to know anything. uh, program That's the thing. You don't have to know anything up front to enjoy a TV show. It's an appeal to the lowest common denominator. But the thing is, when you know the things about the Bible that you need to know, every time you open it up, there's a magical... I shouldn't say magical. We're not magic people. But there is a very holy, supernatural experience that happens when you read God's holy law. And you allow it to imprint itself upon you, and your life is changed because of it. So I feel like I made you uncomfortable for long enough. I'm going to move along, but I want you holding this story up as a mirror against your own life, saying, why do I not hunger like this for God's holy word? And if we're going to be fair, those ancient people back then, they did fall back into sin. They did. It's not like they were doing this every Saturday, spending six hours every Saturday together. So I'm not going to guilt trip you that bad. But I feel like once a year at least we should have it in us just to sit and bathe in God's scripture together. I would love it if it was a monthly occasion. If we did it for a month, once a month, uh, I believe we could make it through the whole Bible together. Wouldn't that be quite a thing to listen to the whole Bible together every year? But nobody's banging. I can't even get more than five people at a time to my Bible study on Thursdays. And we're not doing nearly that much scripture, so join my Bible study on Thursdays. But we need to have a hunger for God's holy word because, well, we're going to read about it more here in the psalm. There is no way to please the Lord unless you allow yourself to be changed by his word. There is not a scriptural provision made for people who don't read their Bibles. And when I say read their Bibles, yes, I know ancient people were illiterate and they couldn't read They would sit and listen for hours together to the scriptures. But there is no provision for people to enter into the gates of heaven who just never cared to know God's holy word. There is no such person in God's holy kingdom who just didn't care to learn his word. All right, Psalm 19 is on page 750 of your hymnal. Song response sounds like this. The law of God is just, reviving the soul. Sing that with me, please. The law of God is just, reviving the soul. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims God's handiwork. There is no speech, nor are there words, their voice is not heard. Yet their voice goes out all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them God has set a tent for the sun, which comes forth like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and runs its course with joy like a strong man. The law of God is just, reviving the soul. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the of the Lord are true and righteous More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold.
2: The law of God
0: is just, reviving the soul. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Also keep your servant from the insolent, let them not have dominion over me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord my rock and my redeemer the law of God is just reviving the soul I already kinda talked about it but one of the reasons that people often don't meditate upon God's Word very much is because they have chosen to believe that it is not an expression of the eternal perfect will of God but it is an expression of an imperfect will of man. So they, they see all this archaeology and historical textual criticism, and they say, This was just written by a bunch of old dead men in a very different culture. It, it cannot speak to where I am right now. And so, of course, when they open it, you know, when you're on the road, if, if you're thinking about a yellow car, you're going to see the first yellow car that comes down the road. And likewise, if you're expecting to find things that talk past you in the Bible, you don't have to look very long. You're going to find it. question is, do I, tr- do I choose to see that as something that God wants me to understand or something that's irrelevant? And most people today, most people who call themselves Christian today in America, when they open the Bible and find something, that they encounter something they don't understand, they don't dig in, they don't figure out what it is, They usually just close their Bibles. They get discouraged and they say, this doesn't have much to do with me. Well, that's an interpretive decision. And what I argue is everything in the Bible, everything in this book has to do with you and me and all believers across all of history. That's what it was designed to be. That's what it was written to be. And if that's not what you perceive it to be, gee, do you think the problem is with you or with the book? Yeah, it's with you. And I say that with love in my heart. I say that with love in my heart. Uh, I I gave a sermon in Richfield, Idaho, one time. It was like my second year of ministry, and Sarah Beth and I, we weren't perfect at being married yet because we are now, right? And um, we sometimes I was pr- preaching about how you know sometimes as believers we screw up, but we don't get to just give up and leave the covenant. I said sometimes I'm a I'm a crummy husband. But I have to wake up the next day, and I have to do better, and I have to live into my marriage covenant. You know, and I said, sometimes my wife is a crummy wife, but likewise, she has to wake up the next day and resolve to be good in marital covenant. And those people stopped listening to anything I said for two weeks. They were so mad at me. How dare he say anything bad about his wife from the pulpit? And I didn't mean it like that. Whenever I say something bad about somebody, like I just did about you, It's coming from a place of love sometimes we need correction the biblical word for it is admonishment okay and i'm probably never going to get up here and scream and get red in the face and have eyes bulging out of my sockets about so angry you know but i am going to acknowledge that we're not perfect and we have some real imperfections that we need to deal with and one of them is how we don't desire god's word as much as we should here it says verse 7 the law of god is perfect It's perfect. Can you improve upon perfection? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. God's holy word is not broken. In fact, it's just as good for doing what it was meant to do as it ever was. Verse 11 Moreover, by your law is your servant, me, warned. In keeping your law, there is great reward. Because who can understand one's own errors? Clear me from hidden faults. The whole point of the Bible is there are all kinds of ways that I excuse myself and convince myself, oh, I'm not so bad. But if I read my Bible, the Bible says, no, Jeffrey, you have a lot of work to do right here. This thing right here, you haven't been paying attention to all your life. You need to work on it now. It matters. The Bible ministers to me every time I open it. Every single time I open my Bible, it is correcting me. And that's why I have to love it, because if you don't love somebody who's correcting you, you shut the door on them, don't you? You know, my wife, you know, there's some people online who will correct me, and I just say, you know what, I don't, I don't care about what you think of me. <laughs> I just don't, you know. But if my wife corrects me, I love that lady. That lady can correct me all day long, I'm not going to leave her, you know. And that's our relationship with God's holy word. Even more than that, we trust God's holy word even more than our spouse, even more than ourself. That's the proper relationship with God's holy word. And the people who spend hours and hours in it, it's because they've learned to trust that God and his holy word are more based in love than anybody else, anything else they can know this side of heaven. Now there's another charge that people, I think this is the last part of me preaching on the scriptures for today, we'll see. People will sometimes level a charge of bibliolatry on somebody it's a combination of Bible and idolatry and they'll say oh you love your Bible so much you worship your Bible and not the Lord if anyone ever says anything like that to you that is words of the evil one that makes no sense that makes no sense there is no way to love God's Holy Word and not love the Lord there is if you love God's Holy Word it directs your heart and being in every fiber of your soul To love the Lord and to serve Him continually and conform your life to Him. You cannot love God's Holy Word too much. That's like saying, oh, you love the Holy Spirit too much. Oh, you love the church too much. God has instituted all these holy things for our benefit. You cannot love them too much. Our loves can be disordered. Sure, you know. There are people, yes, who memorize Bible verses and do not live by them. But they don't memorize them out of love of them. They do it out of love of self liking to look good and holy in front of other people liking their brains they don't let once you love the lord you love his holy word and you want to know it there is no shame in loving your bible and if anyone ever says you love your bible more than you love the lord don't punch them just don't listen to them that's a ridiculous thing to say let's um let's go on to our our next reading this one deals with the church okay so i said you can't love the bible too much you can't love your church too much, and that's what this section is about. What is the nature of the church? Is it something that Christ built? Is it something that is good and holy for us, or is it okay to step away? Let's keep these questions as, Bud, you're reading this, aren't you? Yep, Bud's reading. Let's listen. All right.
2: All right. The third reading is from the uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 12, 31. Uh, our third reading is from Paul's letter to the church in Corinthians chapter 12 verse 12 through 31 which you can find on your on the page 1784 of your pew Bibles listen again to the Word of God just as a body through one has many parts but all its many parts from one body so it's is with Christ we were all baptized by the Spirit and as to form one body, whether Jews, Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given this one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part but of many. Now, as the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not be that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not be for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, there would be the sense of hearing. If the body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. As they were all one part, where would the body be? As it there as many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I do not need you. On the contrary, there are these parts the body that seem to be weaker and indispensable and the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor and the parts that are unprincipled are treated with special modesty while our presentable parts need to no special treatment but God has the body together, giving great honor to the parts that lack it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that his parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it, and God has placed you in the church. First of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and different kinds of tongues. They're all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers do all work miracles do all have gifts of healing do all speak in tongues do all interpret now eagerly desired the gifts greater gifts this is the word of the lord the greater
0: gifts it's referring to there it leads directly into in first corinthians 13 the greatest gift is love So there's this metaphor that he's running with throughout that whole reading, which is that the church is like a body, okay? And each one of us members of the church represents a different part of the body. And one of us saying, oh, I'm not needed, or you're not needed, is like my nose saying to my hand, I don't need you. Makes no sense, okay? What if one day my hand said, oh, I don't like this body. This body, it's, it's hypocritical. It's got moles all over it. Sometimes he eats garbage food. I'm leaving this body. I, I will no longer accept any blood from this body. How's that going to work out from my hand? I know it's a weird metaphor, but that's the metaphor we're working with here. If my, body, if my hand stops receiving blood from my body, it's going to die. It's going to die. I've been a preacher for a while now, I've had a lot of conversations about the church. The people that are the biggest threat to Christ's design for the church are not atheists. They're not Muslims, they're not Hindus. They're people who say they love Jesus, but that they can do it outside of the church. And they'll say, oh, I pray every day, I read my scriptures all the time. They'll say that or they'll say, I don't need to, I was saved when I was 13, I'm going to heaven, it doesn't matter what I do whatever that is not a biblical perspective that way lies damnation if you love Jesus you want to be part of his body you want to be with his family that's us are we perfect y'all say that loud be humble are you perfect okay the call to join the church is not because the church is so great and perfect it's because Christ is so great and perfect and he calls us together to be one body and when we come together to be the body We don't make any members any more important than another, including the pastor, including the pastor. The pastor is not any more important than any one of you here. If you are plugged in to Christ's body, the church, you are everybody as valuable as everybody else. And that means you get the same honor as everybody else and you receive the same responsibility as everybody else. And that can be a joyful thing. Whenever you know that Christ's body is the church, that the church is Christ's family, his body. But when you choose to see it just as a bunch of hypocrites well then you've just gated yourself off from the community of faith you've just gated your off yourself off from saving relationships if i thought the church was unnecessary i would not be spending my life in the church leading the church and people act as though this is a perspective that should be welcomed in churches oh surely you don't think the church is essential for salvation i'll say flat up faith is the only thing required for salvation. Saving faith is the only thing that saves. However, once you have that faith, there are a thousand things that God requires of you. Any of which you don't do, you have renounced your salvation. One of them is joyfully participating in the life and work of the church. When you are putting up with a crummy pastor who is boring you to tears, when you are singing songs you do not like, when you are... Shaking somebody's hand at church in the pew that you do not like. When you are welcoming them into your home, even though they annoy the bejesus out of you. That is you participating in your own salvation. But when you cannot stand that annoying guy down the pew so you don't deal with him. When you hate that pastor who, even though he's preaching the Bible, you just don't like him personally. When you hate that song, so I'm not going to sing it. When you hate your neighbors at the church so you're not going to have them in your house. That's when you get yourself off. That's when you block yourself off from salvation. Jesus, do you think Jesus liked us while he was with us? I read a lot of stories about him not liking people. And for some reason, I always put myself in the Bible, I'm the one guy he kind of liked. <laughs> do you see how self-serving it is? How many of you were like that? Oh, I'd be that guy in the Bible that said the thing that pleased Jesus. I would be the dope saying the wrong thing every time. I know I would. I'd like to think that I've been so sanctified by now I would please him. I'm going to wait for the train. I can't compete with the train. Between Bud and the train, I don't know who can outdo me more. I think I can stop talking about this. I... The thing I, I know we're over time and you're about to go home and it's up to you whether or not you hold on to anything we talked about or read about today. It's up to you whether or not you put it all down and pick up whatever you, or whether you really mull it over. What I, what I really want you to do, I want you to go home. I want you to revise your relationship with the scriptures so you start to re- desire them more. You know, I'm not going to do that metaphor. But I want you to reconsider how can I love the Bible more? And then I want you to reconsider how can I love my church more? Because the greatest feature that we carry is love, but if our hearts are not carrying love for the Bible and for the church, then I don't think we have much love for God either. And I don't mean that in a judgmental, hateful way. I just mean that in a, gee, I don't know how you can read your Bible and not see that way. Okay, our final reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 14 through 21, which you can find on page 1598 of your Pew Bibles. Listen again to the Word of God. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, "'The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor.'" He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of the Lord. Now, there's a lot of different sermons one can give on this, but for the sake of continuity with everything I've said and because I know that energy is waning, just notice, this is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, what Jesus has done so far. He showed up to get baptized by John the Baptist. The Holy Spirit came upon him immediately. He went out into the wilderness, fasted 40 days, was tempted by Satan. Satan gave him three temptations. Jesus refuted each temptation with a scripture. Old Testament scripture. Didn't argue with Satan on his own merits. He pointed him to the word of God. Now, he begins his ministry. He's in the synagogue. And he debuts who he is. And he doesn't use his own words. He turns to the prophet Isaiah. And he says, here's this mission from the prophet that was told 100 years ago. That mission's about me. I'm the guy. Now, Jesus was the eternal son of God. He is the word made flesh. But even Jesus relied upon God's holy word to make himself known and to make the right path known. It's not the only times he quotes scripture. It's all throughout his ministry. Are we any better than Jesus? We know we're not. Jesus said, he who would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And when he says follow me, he says live like I live, talk how I talk, do what I did, die how I died. That's what Jesus means. He's saying everything that he modeled for us was not so we get together and go, oh, Jesus, he was such a good guy. I mean, it's not a sin to say Jesus was such such a good guy. But the whole reason he did it is so that we could see how to be. We could hear how to talk. We could know how to live. The good news is not Jesus was holy so that we don't have to be. The good news is Jesus was holy so that we could be like him. And that's why Jesus said, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. If you don't hear Jesus call to holiness, whenever you're going to church, then you are not going to a church of Jesus Christ. The call is to holiness each and every day. And this is what holiness looks like. It looks like knowing your scriptures and applying them in your daily life. There comes a point when you walk with the scriptures long enough where all of a sudden you realize, Hey, the reason I just had that thought is because this is, what God told me in His Holy Word. The reason I just gave this message to somebody is because of the message I've received from God. The reason I just practice self-denial is because I've gotten strength from His scriptures. And soon enough, every day, everything you do throughout your day, you realize you're leaning upon God's Holy Word and you're stronger than you ever were alone. I want that strength for us. I want people who enter into this church to look around and go, how are these people so strong? How do they love each other so much? How are they so faithful? How do they hunger for God's word this much? As we're hearing God's holy word together, I want us to be looking up and paying attention and so loving what God has to say to us that when people enter into this place, they say, God is here and I want to be here too. Now, as I give the sermon, I'd be lying if I didn't think we were already like this to some degree. I don't know, it's just guilt tripping you about not coming to the Bible study on Thursdays. And you should feel guilty and you should come. But this community has already modeled a great openness to and loving nature toward God's holy word. I've seen it for years. I see it growing. I'm so excited about what the future is here. And I love that God has brought us all together. And I'm very excited to see what he has planned for us. I don't pretend to know what it is, but I know it's good. Let's end on that note.